tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Larry's Last Race, Till Death Do Us Part, Millionaire's Murder, and Dances with Moomies, Moomes, Mooms. Co-host Crystal. And I'm your other co-host Robert. And this is Reenacted, a unsolved mysteries podcast for the sort of people who might have felt <laughs> that the wrong people died at the end of Titanic, and maybe Jack should have lived. <laughs> okay, I guess that was a wow. horrible I mean, uh, decision on no, my part. No, I think that was like no, I think that's like really accurate, actually. <laughs> that was what was going through my mind when I was watching this boat segment. Oh. <laughs> like, like, cause yeah, I mean, it was she... a little, little Titanic y. Yeah, yeah, it was. Like, I mean, I think, like, you know, people are always ragging on, like, why didn't Rose let Jack try to get up onto the, to the, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, whatever it was she was floating on. And I, I think, like, basically, we saw in the reenactment what would have happened? You know, it would have started sinking and she would have been like, stop, 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 stop. Yeah. 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 That woman in that, well, we'll get to it. Yeah. The woman in the uh, first segment was uh, really freaking out. Right. But yeah, we won't, we won't talk about that at first. Cause that's not what our listeners want to hear. They want to hear about Robbie and Crystal and the crazy shenanigans that we get up to. Oh, our shenanigans. So Robbie and I were just talking about right before we hit record that in the last month and probably due to the Netflix reboot and renewed interest in Unsolved Mysteries, the number of people that have listened to our podcast uh, have doubled. (laughs) Um, So and we and we, you know, we got some negative reviews on iTunes and we kind of took that to heart and, and we thought, you know, this would be a good time if you're a new listener that we introduce ourselves and what it is we do here. I'm just glad those negative reviews were about the content of the show and not like technical problems yes. <laughs> the uh, reviewer had downloading the show from iTunes. Yeah. And that's that's a little yeah, outside yeah. of our now, the, sphere. And the negative reviews were definitely uh, personal. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I I thought we could, you know, we just talk about for, for a couple minutes here, like, who who we are why we started the pod because we're now 60 some odd episodes and almost three years into this thing um and of course there are there are people that have been with us from the beginning and we love you and thank you so um just to start i my name's crystal uh duh i just said that and i live in los angeles and i work for a rather large pseudo-governmental entity within um within la i it's not the it's not like the cia or anything like paramilitary i just like don't want to name it because i you know uh yeah (laughs) and uh but you can look me up on linkedin if you feel like it it's all public information um i have been probably how long have we been friends uh since like 2009 well i mean we definitely like the first the very, very earliest we ever met each other was in the fall of 2009. And mm-hmm. I, know, I, I, at, we, we were definitely friends at the point when you, 
moved to Sacramento, which was before you moved to Los Angeles, because mm-hmm. uh, I subsequently visited you visited you in Sacramento a number of times. So uh, yes, th- though usually yeah, not, you, I came <laughs> usually in the context of me like going to like some meeting for a living history club uh a, a, a assortment of living history clubs and being like hey i'm in town you want to hang out mm. yeah i i feel like we probably hung out quite a bit in grad school though i remember you being at parties and stuff oh yeah so yeah totally <laughs> i mean it's not unprecedented we didn't just start hanging out when i no 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 yeah 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 but, yeah, uh, yeah yeah i mean yeah uh, we became friends at some point, uh, uh, certainly during grad school. Um, and we both went to to the University of Nevada, Reno, um, and we went through the political science department program. We both have a master's degree in, um, it's, it's, yours is still in political science, right? Yeah. It's the same thing? Yeah. Okay. What, 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 um, what, what, what wait, mm-hmm. your, and yours is in political science, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. What what would have not what 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 would have what would have mine have been otherwise? I I was I was just thinking it was cuz the our our program also had MPA degrees. Oh. Public Administration. Yes. Yeah. And so we had some friends that got MPAs. So I just want to make sure oh. I wasn't but I knew you were a comparative guy and I was in international relationship relationships. <laughs> I was in some international relationships. <laughs> international relations God. sorry how will we ever resolve our differences um but robbie do you want to do you want to like talk about yourself a little bit here uh i live in nevada i all i work for a government entity that i would prefer not to name as well uh, yes mm-hmm. and then uh other than that <laughs> i mean it's not really much to tell. You have two cats. I have two cats. I'm mm-hmm. six foot one, approximately. Okay, because that's important, apparently. Approximately two hundred and seventy-five pounds. Mm-hmm. Brown. It's all beef, ladies. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> the kind of beef you can only get from repeated trips to uh, Pizza Plus. Oh man, Pizza Plus. <laughs> I don't think we've had a good Pizza Plus conversation on the pod. Let's spend 10 minutes talking um, about that and annoy people further. No, I, I yeah, can't. I can't. But... Pizza franchise of Northern Nevada. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and so that's how we, then we know each other. So we decided at some point I, when I was visiting you to watch, you had all these, uh, dvds of like compilations of the robert stack unsolved mysteries episodes i did and uh i was like i was like dig you know i didn't know you were a stackhead man and and (laughs) he was like and robbie was like yeah want to watch some unsolved mysteries (laughs) um and then we did we did and i think it was like about a month later i called you and i was like hear me out do you want to do an unsolved mysteries podcast? <laughs> and um, I think my answer, I think my answer was something mm-hmm. like, "Oh yeah, sure." Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I, I remember. I I really kind of had to sell you on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but 
I think probably when we got into this Unsolved Mysteries podcasting business, which involves us uh, discussing in various detail the segments of the Robert Stack and only the Robert Stack hosted uh, Unsolved Mysteries episodes, because fuck Farina and may he rest in peace. I'm going to throw you right out of that fucking window. I think I speak for both of us when I say we thought it was a lot more like UFOs and ghosts and shit. Yeah. And uh, so, so far it's been a lot of like unsolved murders and lost loves. And, um, you know, I think our point of view is in, ostensibly this has become a true crime podcast, but we're really skirting the edge of wanting to to have a true crime podcast. Because I don't know about you, Robbie, I would much rather talk about like a Bigfoot and like a lost Old West treasure mm-hmm. than like some some lady who got murdered in a grisly fashion. So just... As you're listening to our podcast, understand that's what our point of view is. We're never really going to do, like, deep research. We're not trying to solve a crime. We're barely going to stay on topic most of the time. And, yes, I feel like Pizza Plus is going to come back up again in this episode. So just – so you spent 10 minutes now listening to us talk. I wanted you to know what you're in for because I know we have a lot of new people. Um, and if if that's not your jam – because we like to joke around. We're not professional radio people or journalists or any of that shit. We're not even comedians. We're just a couple of nobodies that enjoy each other's company. And we are just waiting for those nuggets of UFOs and um, like lost treasure and shit. I mean, Robbie, would you say that's about it? Yeah, especially your point on research. Because I, I feel like I most of the time have a pretty shaking, shaky understanding of the episode i've just watched Mm -hmm. much less any of Mm -hmm. the details surrounding it um absolutely yeah i mean the only way i could really get jazzed about the lost loves thing is if like there was like a synergy between that and say you know a bigfoot segment like like they're Mm -hmm. trying to reunite a bigfoot with another bigfoot which i guess is i guess that's basically just the plot of harry and the hendersons right yeah. yeah. Or if they're trying to reunite an alien with his home world, then, then that would be the plot of E.T. <laughs> <laughs> or has, have, has there been uh, anything where a Bigfoot has tried to find buried treasure? <laughs> or an alien was murdered mm-hmm. by a Bigfoot? Um, I think we're kind of like wandering into Chuck tingle uh, you're familiar with chuck tingle i think we're kind of wandering into chuck tingle territory okay with some of these suggestions um which that would be great we should do like a minisode where one of us reads aloud a chuck tingle tingler um <laughs> anyways hey so all that said do you want to talk about some lost loves and, a, and some grizzly murders i do Great. Let us let us start talking about episode, season four, episode fourteen of Unsolved Mysteries. First segment is a final appeal. Uh, this involves an individual named Larry Race, who uh, was involved in a is boating accident the right term? I feel like that saying boating accident conjures up the idea that the boat crashed into something rather than just started sinking or something Mm. but yes uh, it was just kind of a it was a shitty boat yeah it was an accident on a shitty boat yeah Yeah. um 
Larry Race, he was out on Lake Superior uh, with his wife, Debbie. And unfortunately, she died that evening. This was back in, what, 1982? And mm-hmm. uh, so Larry was... Try- prosecuted tried and convicted of murdering his wife but he maintains that what happened out on that lake was less like a murder and more like a three's company episode with a lot of uh wacky inconveniences that all sort of compounded into each other mm-hmm. um yeah it, it got very sitcom like <laughs> With the explanation that Larry gives about everything that was happening on the boat. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. So basically, um, Larry and Debbie, uh, they were a married couple who um, they were having relationship troubles. And I guess Larry had engaged in some extramarital affairs. But according to the segment, they were sort of starting to reconcile. And so they went out for what I guess was supposed to be a romantic night on a boat on the lake. Uh, have, you, mm-hmm. have you ever had uh, like a boat lake night romance experience? Um, No, all of my boat lake experiences have been platonic and during the daytime. Well, probably mostly involving... Uh, spotting wildlife and stuff, right? Um, no, just like having a having a good time on the lake, zipping around, swimming, drinking beer. Huh. You know. Okay. Well, moving on. Lake stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the reenactment, Debbie notices that the boat starts to take on water. She doesn't really. They, I feel they were really vague as to what what the source of this was. Like, it wasn't a hole in the boat, right? Like, it just started. What, what was going on? And then anyway, so they had. In, I don't know. They, yeah, they had engine trouble. Uh, they couldn't get the uh, couldn't get the boat started, and then you just sort of have a, a series of things were you know larry insists that he had two inflatable rafts but when Mm. he tried to inflate the first one it uh it turned out it had several holes or gashes in it so in the reenactment he tosses it tosses it aside and i don't know about you but in the to me in the reenactment it looked like he tossed it over the side of the boat did I imagine mm-hmm. that, or did they make it? No, he got, he he looked like he chucked it off the boat entirely. Yeah, yeah, you see, like in frustration. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, that's what I saw. So they do get another raft inflated, and they come up with the idea that uh, she will. Well, and here's the thing: they say that the raft is a two-person raft, but it can only fit one person. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure quite what that means, but. Uh, I feel, I feel like that was low key calling Debbie fat. <laughs> Ouch. Well, I guess like yeah, early I, earlier I, in the I, segment they did drop that one of Larry's complaints about Debbie was her weight, right? Yeah. Well, my question is, who's fucking with Larry and all his affairs? Come on now. 
Right. Come on now. Well, you know, they... Mm -hmm. The, the guy they got to reenact as Larry is considerably more handsome than than the the real Larry. Yeah. I, right. You, you see it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the plan they concoct is that Debbie will ride in the raft while Larry pulls it as he swims and takes them ashore. Uh, even though mm -hmm. we were told at the very beginning of the segment that La Lake Superior is at freezing level nearly all year long and basically mm -hmm. to go into it uh, uh, for, you know, more than a handful of minutes is to sign your death, death warrant apparently. Yeah. And this sounds like a shitty lake. Like, I mean, no offense to it, but like, it doesn't sound like a fun lake. Were you, were you apologizing to the lake itself? Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyway, so, yeah, they they try this plan. After a while, surprise, surprise, Larry starts to, to, to freeze. And he wants to get in the raft, but trying to do so just causes water to spill into the raft. So he apparently, allegedly, sees a light uh, off in the distance and c concludes that it is a boat of some sort. So the plan he comes up with is he will attempt to swim towards the boat. Debbie will attempt to take the raft to the shoreline. And so presumably one of them, if they make it, can get help for the other. Uh, though, as it turns out, the boat that Larry was swimming back to was just their own, which I feel like is something that he, he probably would have figured out uh, as soon as he like looked at it. Because if it's the only only light on the lake that you're seeing you wouldn't you just assume that's the boat you just came from unless whatever um so the kind of divergent accounts we get they they sort of split off at this point because if you follow the defenses argument larry got back to the boat he tried to contact uh the coast guard or whoever and then he was eventually rescued. Uh, and then Debbie, her body was found ashore the next day. And that's when he was, uh, Larry was arrested and charged with her murder. Uh, the prosecution maintains that Larry uh, returned back to the boat, uh, changed into his scuba diving gear, and then swam back out to the, uh, the, the raft that, Jenny was was on uh, no uh, Debbie, Debbie sorry, sorry Debbie, uh, and proceeded to puncture it underneath the water with his knife so that I guess it would sink with her uh, in it uh, before returning back to the boat. And so we get sort of I mean that that's the two that's the 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 points point of departure with the prosecution. They believe that Larry murdered Debbie. Uh, they bring up, there's a, apparently a life insurance policy that was involved with this. The defense, their counter is that that life insurance policy was part of a larger package of insurance that was mostly built around their house, right? And mm -hmm. yeah. So, and then the prosecution, 
They maintain Larry never really had two rat inflatable rafts. Uh, the defense says that, you know, there's a, there's a witness that maintains that Larry was like, yeah, I just bought two rafts, uh, another a second raft or something. And, you know, sort of, we sort of get a, a different interpretation of, of several events here. Uh, <clears throat> one of which that we have a, a French scuba diver, <laughs> which, I only ass- I assume they they decided to to hire a French scuba diver because, I mean, yeah, I, I I'm sure at the time, like Jacques Cousteau just pretty much set the standard that if you want a scuba diver who's going to talk about underwater stuff and sounds like they know what they're talking about, you gotta go French. I assumed he was French Canadian because Lake Superior also borders Quebec. Moving on. So, <laughs> so this, uh, you know, this scuba diver gives a number of explanations for uh, ba- basically, you know, the defense maintains that uh, Debbie was in the raft when she passed away. The prosecution believes that she was out of the raft when she passed away. The poor, the poor reenactor uh, who's playing Debbie has to portray her as being dead, both out of a raft and in one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, she, this reenactor has a lot of range. That's basically the final appeal. Uh, it ends with a text update letting us know that Larry got out on parole. Uh, he maintains he is, he still maintains that he is innocent. And there you have it. So, Crystal. Yeah. Tell me about why this guy is guilty. Uh, <laughs> well, before before we get to that, I think my favorite part of this segment is when they were interviewing the DA. And he was like, yes. this isn't an unsolved mystery. The mystery's been solved. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for mentioning that, because I did notice that, too. Because that I feel like that is something that you and I have been saying a lot on this podcast yeah. in the last six months. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, that was probably I, I, I happen to agree with the DA in this case. Yes, this is very solved. <laughs> like, um, okay, well, a couple of things. Um, first of all, uh, if this guy didn't purposefully kill his wife, he did so unintentionally because the boat that they were on had, and they mentioned this a couple of times in the segment, this is a really long and tedious segment, and they get into all kinds of details we're not going to get into here, but um, If you're a boat enthusiast, you're going to love this segment. Yeah, if you are into marine craft holy shit Uh, and and I wish that I knew more because I could probably poke more holes in this whole thing, but um, there had been previous motor problems and problems with the boat almost sinking the previous summer. So uh, the boat uh, was known to be bad, <laughs> I guess. So first and foremost, yeah. them, and the the second thing is the Unsolved Mysteries makes a big deal about what like an avid scuba diver and boater Larry was. So he knowingly went with his wife in the night on a boat that was known to be faulty, I think someone with that much experience should know better to do that. Hmm. Um, 
you know, other other things that don't make a lot of sense immediately when he noticed that the boat was taking on water and then they actually fixed that problem. They fixed the the there was water coming into the motor and then they stopped that from happening, but then the motor wouldn't start. And so that's when they decided to bail off the boat. If the boat wasn't yeah. taking on water at that point, why did it be going out on the open lake become the choice? That doesn't make sense <laughs> with somebody who knows about um, boating and scuba diving well, and all that. Well, Larry insists that Debbie started to get hysterical and she made him hysterical, too. I'm sorry, dude. I don't I don't buy that for one second. I don't buy that for one second. That is a story. Number two, if you are an experienced boater and scuba diver, what's the first thing that you do when you run into trouble like that? You radio for help, right? Right. He didn't do that until he had swum back to the boat, which he didn't realize was his own after leaving his water or his wife afloat in the middle of the night in Lake Superior. Like either either Larry is the world's biggest idiot which I don't think that he is, or he uh, accidentally or on purpose killed his wife. I don't, th- I'm just the series of mishaps. It doesn't make any sense for somebody who, who has even a little bit of experience or training with boating and scuba and water safety and all that. Um, I can understand the wife freaking out, but like, how does the solution, if the boat isn't sinking, it's because they stopped the water from coming into the engine. If the boat isn't sinking, why did they get off of it? Why not just wait till right. morning? You know, why not radio? Yeah, for you know, help? There, yeah. There's a lot of convoluted yeah. stuff involved in the explanation, though. It seems like the prosecution added in a couple of extra unnecessary steps too. Yeah. Like the whole thing about Larry like swimming back to put on the the, the scuba diving equipment and then swim back out and like. I mean, wouldn't it more likely be like he, he, you know, he gets her far enough away from the boat and then just takes out his knife and is like, pop, pop. And he's like, so long and swims back. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think the prosecution added some details that aren't necessary. Don't make sense either. Um, I mean, it it sounds like a really cool plot for like a murder movie or something like the, you know, it's like, oh, he's a scuba diver. So he goes and he. He punctures, you know, the the raft from underneath. But wh- why would that be necessary if she's going to die? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it'd be one thing if there was like other witnesses and other rafts or something or or, or or something. But it makes no sense. Yeah. But yeah. OK. But I, I buy everything you, you said. Yeah. For sure. I think it. The, I mean, I don't I mean, I don't know what the laws were in Minnesota in the 80s at the time, but there is such a thing called negligent homicide. And so it's uh, through your own negligence you you end up killing somebody else. I think that's probably what happened here. I don't think it was um I mean, but I just feel like Larry's Larry's either he's got to be a moron to do all the things that he was describing that happened to the point mm-hmm. where she's getting in the uh, life raft by herself. Doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense unless you're stupid. He could be stupid, but then that's ne- negligent homicide. It's not, you know, premeditated murder so right um yeah i don't i don't know fuck this guy (laughs) like (laughs) i'm with the da like unsolved it's like inappropriate case for unsolved mysteries the mystery's been solved you know 
<laughs> and well, the only well, the only real mystery is why is her family so uh, so so much in Larry's corner? I, I don't um, I don't know why. I mean, why is anybody in any abuser's corner? Because he's manipulative, right? Oh yeah, okay. Do you know what I, I'm saying? I was think I was thinking of a more convoluted thing where like they they were gonna get a share of the life insurance or something. Um, oh. I'm not suggesting that's the, I mean that that they did. I'm just I, as a sen- possible scenario. Uh, but okay, well, I think that we just solved that already solved mystery. Well, and he didn't even like. He didn't even need the final appeal because he got let out on parole. So guess what? He manipulated the parole board too. Good job, Larry. Um, <laughs> uh, Robbie, shall we move on? Yes. Let's move on and talk about the great escape and some unsolved mystery that is really what the segment's about. I guess this is me, right? This is my segment. Am I talking about yeah. this one? I don't. We didn't really work that out in the beginning. Okay. No, I'm. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we agreed. I would just do the first one, and mm-hmm. then you had to handle everything yeah. else. Oh no! Wait. I know why you're confused. Why? Because we had an update before this. Uh, oh. This next segment. Yeah. Longtime listeners of the pod know about Jim Burnside, uh, the guy who worked at a deli counter in a grocery store, and married a young girl who worked at the grocery store. I believe she was 18 and he was 48 at the time. Um, and as so often happens in the show, it turns out he was an abusive jerk. Uh, he ended up murdering her. Uh, and yeah, we, we already saw the update for this when we saw the episode of the segment. I just wanted to mention that because like when we first saw the segment, I, I felt the guy who was playing this individual in the reenactment like he looked like someone and Mm -hmm. i finally figured out who the reenactor looks like Mm. he looks like the actor i mean but he's not he's obviously not this actor i'm about to to, not so much name as describe uh he looks like the actor who played muzz in the (laughs) dragnet movie I have no idea yes? who that is. No idea. I'm sorry. Uh, <clears throat> but Robbie, you know, that's obscure enough. It probably was that guy. Did you look it up? I did look up the actor. His name was Jim O'Halloran or something. Uh-huh. I didn't really, in my about nine seconds of looking at the Wikipedia page, I didn't see a reference to Unsolved Mysteries. But I did see that he was in Superman 2. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because he he was uh, you know the 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 trio of rogue Kryptonians that General Zod leads in that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's there's General Zod mm-hmm. and the chick and the big guy. Mm-hmm. He played the big guy. Oh. So just picture that character. Uh huh. Or the actor who rather the actor who played him. Uh, uh, as, uh, you know, behind that deli counter and mm-hmm. you have the inner workings of my mind. Um, moving on. I think that's, <laughs> I think it's really important that we understand that though. 
yes. where, where you're coming from. Right. Right. It is? Sure. I don't know. I just wanted to mention it. <laughs> That's great. Crystal, let's 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 talk about let's talk about Genie Genie uh to Tovre? Tovrea? Tovre Tovre Yeah. Yeah. It does. Let's talk about Genie. Yeah, or is it Jean? 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 I feel like it's Jean. We're okay. This is when our listeners find out we're illiterate. Okay. Alrighty. So we're we're gonna talk about Phoenix Phoenix Socialite. Man, I hate that because I immediately. They introduce her as, you know, she was like a single divorcee mom. Okay. And she moved out mm-hmm. to Phoenix from wherever she used to live. And she worked, her, mm-hmm. you know, to, I, well, calling her socialite, I feel like diminishes her accomplishments a little bit. So right. um, she worked as a cocktail waitress. And then on her breaks, she studied real estate law and she became a real estate um, agent, lawyer, not sure. She became in the reenactment where she brings people their drinks mm-hmm. and then goes sit sits at the uh, booth. She has a lot of like books opened up in, mm-hmm. in front of her, uh, so she was clearly hitting those books hard. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, according to the segment, uh, as soon as she became a real estate agent or lawyer, not sure which. She uh, was instantly successful. And so entering into that world, she met her, uh, this man named Edge Tovria, who uh, came from a very old and prominent Arizona family. I guess they had made millions of being cattle ranchers or something like that. Um, Ed Tovria, um, and this will be important later, he, uh, this, you know, when the time came in World War II, it was time for him to serve his country. And he went... Um, to uh let's say europe is part of that theater that would be where he would go okay thank you um and he was uh he was a captured pow and in the axis in an in an axis prison camp anyway yada 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 by the unsolved mystery segment as i mentioned that ed was part of the famous great escape where a bunch of uh, POWs dug tunnels out, and I'm I've not ha- I've not seen the movie, but uh, you've heard of it. What? No, I mean, come on, I haven't seen it. Um, I'll watch oh. it when we're done. How about that? Okay. Okay. I, uh, okay. And then I'll listen to the Friendly Fire podcast. <laughs> I'm sure that they've already done about it. Yeah. I mean, you can probably just listen to the Friendly Fire podcast mm-hmm. and BS your your way through any conversation about the movie with me. Yeah. Just based off that. Okay. Well. Yeah. Okay. I'll pa- we'll pause here. It's a hell of a combination. Okay. And now I'm back, and I've listened to the Friendly Fire podcast. <laughs> okay. And so they es- escaped greatly. <laughs> Uh, uh, I <laughs> okay yes and um, uh, oh, hopefully Connor will be able to just drop in like mm-hmm. 20 seconds of the Great Escapes theme music in mm-hmm. there and just cover us that'll, t- that'll tell you everything this. you need to know about that movie it, well, whatever I'm trying to talk about it 
Uh, right. I mean, it's strange that this is stumbling us up because this was just a, a blurb. Talk, yeah. talk about their, their marriage. Well, it'll the thing about the Great Escape will come back later on. Um, yeah. So so Ed met, met Jeannie and, and they fell in love and they got married at a private ceremony in Hawaii in the 70s, which just sounds just like a, just really fabulous. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of commentary in the segment from a society columnist and I am just <laughs> delighted thinking about back in the day when local newspapers were independently owned and they had local journalists. I mean, you know, remember those days that in fact that there was a dedicated Phoenix society columnist. Yes. You know, yeah, uh, that's I mean, just, <sighs> I'd like to see that come back. Can we just, can we have like local society columnists? How fun. <laughs> I can only imagine what the society columnist for Dayton, Nevada would mm-hmm. would have their hands full with. Okay, well, anyway. Uh, so, according to the society columnist and also Jeannie's friends, um, Jeannie and Ed had a really happy marriage. Uh, Ed got really sick in the early 80s. He had some respiratory problems, and he was in hospice care. And, and while he was dying, he and, there, and this is in the reenactment, Ed kind of lets Jeannie know she's going to get everything because he'd been uh, arguing with his kids or something. I don't know. Um, I guess the kids didn't like the remarriage. Uh, anyway, so Jeannie didn't get everything, and she only got a portion of the, the estate. So I guess the kids got something. This this will be important in a second. Um, mm-hmm. She, you know, kept being a social light, whatever that is, and moving on with her <laughs> life. And um, <clears throat> in 1988, uh, she was planning a party. She talked to her sister on the phone. She goes to bed. The next day, uh, Jeannie is discovered dead in her home. And she had been shot um, pretty much point blank in the head by intruders. So... Uh, her credit cards are gone. There's fingerprints on the scene, but they failed to, to match them. The police can't find who they belong to, so it's not anybody with a record already. Uh, there was some jewelry that had been moved around and put on the ground, but nothing was really stolen. Uh, they mm-hmm. just basically took her purse. Uh, so the police, the police have kind of come up with their own narrative, which is like someone's. It was a hired hit to kill Jeannie. But they were trying to make it look like it was a robbery gone wrong or something. Uh, yeah. But Jeannie was obviously killed in her sleep. Like, she didn't even wake up, too. Uh, also, because the the person who came in knew directly where to go. It was probably someone who had been in the house before. Um, so, I mean, I don't know about all that. But uh, then there's this really interesting side story that I think may or may not have to do with who actually killed Jeannie. But of this fake journalist. So they find this guy and then they play the actual tape from Jeannie's answering machine on the segment from this man named The machine Gor- is still on, Marta. <laughs> um it's a man named Gordon Phillips and he's trying to wanting to talk to her about Ed apparently to do some article about Ed's time in as a POW and the Great Escape and all that stuff. Um and he had come and visited her in 1987 the year the year before well in the reenactment Jeannie is like very short with him and she's like and what paper are you with again and where are your press credentials and can I get if I call somebody at such and such newspaper they're gonna know who you are like she like she's a smart cookie okay she wasn't 
and you know what I mean? Like my sensibility about Jeannie is that she was like very no, very no nonsense, and she was nice to the point where it was time to not be nice anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, anywho, they picked up this guy Gordon Phillips, who was actually James Cornell Harrod. And they, I guess it was, it doesn't get into it in the segment, but I guess if you were recognized the voice on the tape as their own brother-in-law, then the friend, then some friends of this Cornell Harrod guy, like contacted the police. Anyway. Um, so Harrod was arrested after fingerprints at the scene were matched, uh, that were matched it. So he had definitely at least been in the house at some point and they didn't pick him up until like 1995 so Jeannie died in 88 so it was like seven years later when they picked this guy up anyway the unsolved mysteries segment the only update they give is like that white text and they and they don't actually seem the police don't seem to think that James Cornell Herod actually killed Jeannie that he still hired someone else to do it but they never found the contract killer and then um or he was, I don't know. This is the part I'm confused about. Did he kill her or not? Or he was the guy that hired? I To me, it seems like the, the sort of thing that's really <clears throat> sort of unknown is, um, uh, what was it, was it Ed's fa- uh, kids that hired him to, to kill her? Is, was that ever actually no. prosecuted? No. No, I mean, here's, there's a bunch of stuff in the wiki that's way more detailed than what we get in the segment, which is just basically okay. like, they st- like the segment says we don't know who hired him to kill someone but then in the wiki there's like sus- they think it might be like ed's son and then oh Herod- i don't know i guess it's real confusing <laughs> so yeah this this was this 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 was a real uh, uh, I could pass on it segment. I mean, I, I was mostly just excited <laughs> that the Great Escape got name dropped. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean they 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 sounded like a lovely couple. Yeah, yeah. I have I certainly have no animus towards them. I'm sorry that they both died uh, in in unfortunate circumstances. Jeannie being murdered and Ed dying from. But he was he was chronically sick, right? Because he mm-hmm. was from from all the t- tunnel digging for the Great Escape. Or? I assume he had lung respiratory problems. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So, well, we only have one more segment left. Yeah, this is a three a three segment one because that first one was so freaking detailed. Jeez. As soon as the segment started, and I heard the music they opened with i i knew that somewhere in los angeles a woman was going to slap her her forehead (laughs) unsolved mysteries has once again (laughs) all right let's well let's talk about helen helen rose huh yes she was the youngest daughter of seven Mm -hmm. this was in the 1930s Mm mm-hmm her parents lived on the. Oh God, I'm feel like a jackass because I can't pronounce this. Ojibwe. Oh, Ojibwe. Yeah. Reservation. Mm-hmm. Um, she 
was in it was one of those situations where she and her siblings had to go to some sort of government run school during the winter mm-hmm. and they'd get to return during the summer and mm-hmm. then uh this is in, in Canada yep, by the way this is in Canada, Canada yeah. yeah and uh in uh we get a reenactment of her as a 17 year old in 1941 mm-hmm. uh a teacher is giving an inspiring uh pitch why they should all join the Canadian ar- army and stop stop the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Helen, God bless her, is inspired to do just that. And she joins the Canadian Air Force, mm-hmm. but they discover that she is under the uh, she is underage, so she needs her father's permission to join. Mm-hmm. When my father joined the Navy during World War II, he just lied, and I guess they never caught caught on on to the age thing uh i you know it's it was probably a lot easier in the 1940s to to pass herself off as someone else or have a different slightly different age or something Mm -hmm. yeah my my grandfather joined the air force when he was like 15 or 16 okay he just kind of lied about his age yeah that's what my dad did yeah, I guess I guess Helen wasn't as good a liar as our our no our, Helen's our very honest. Were. Yeah, or yeah. the Canadian uh, government is more thorough. <laughs> Could Either be or. that too. Yeah. Yes. Um. So we get a reenactment in which Helen returns back to uh where her family lives, and I was so relieved because when when they were talking about this segment at the end of the last episode of unsolved mysteries and at the beginning of this episode i saw those teepees and mm-hmm. i was i was just like oh dear god yeah me too i was I, like uh-oh unsolved mysteries <laughs> what are you uh, well i thought it was i mean like, the pan yeah i thought it was like a continuity error because first she they were in a, like a log cabin when she was a little kid right right yeah but fortunately, it just turns out that it's a spiritual vent slash historical reenactment mm-hmm. sort of. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so uh, she just ca- happens to return when when that's going on, uh, and she attempts to get her father to sign the papers, giving giving his permission for her to join. Her father, as so many parents are is very reluctant to allow their child to go off to war. He refuses. She gets angry. And it's basically like, well, I'll find someone to sign it, you know, someone else to sign it. And Storm's off vowing not to return, right? Yep. Yeah. But then we get a reenactment in which she did return. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was hanging out in the country general store. Um, which I suppose probably was still a thing in, in many rural places back mm-hmm. in the 1940s, right? Yep. Um, her her brother-in-law, Angus, runs into her and it was like, you know, is, is amazed. It's like, oh, wow. And, you know, he, he, he tells her he's going to go get her father. And uh, by, the, by, the, by the time they get back, she has left. And her father like looks at Angus and it, I love the reenactor who played Angus. who was mm-hmm. just like, well, she was here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt he said it in much the same way 
I would have if I had ended up in that same situation, leading someone to, you know, think that their daughter was somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, that pretty much sums up the segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, Helen's father passed away. But the remainder of her extended family were very, very much interested in still having her in her life. And we get an update. Yeah, well, such as it is. Yeah, with text telling us that someone called in. Yep. They got in touch with Helen and she was put into contact with her siblings. Numbers were exchanged. Yeah, that's the update. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know whether that's a situation where she just she, she didn't she chose not to do a family reunion, uh, or something. I don't right? know. I there's mean, like there's like no information. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, so? What did you think about the segment, Crystal? <laughs> I mean, it was really weird. It was a really weird segment and not only because of like, you know, the like, why, why didn't she get in Like, why did she just disappear off the face of the earth? Basically. I mean, she went on with her life, I guess. And she moved to the United States, but, but like, yeah, I mean, this is really, it makes me think there was something else going on here that kept her away. Something else. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that I mean, yeah. Why, like, if you get angry at your father, you don't like cut off relations with literally every other member of your mm-hmm. family because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, uh, yeah. I I would be curious to know uh, know what more is going on here. Yeah, I'm. Well, we'll never know, but <laughs> it's just really yeah. frustrating <laughs> because it's like it seems like. Uh, you know, 50 years is a really long time to be mad at dad for a thing that happened when you were a teenager. So <laughs> it it really yeah. <laughs> does make me think that there are other layers of what was going on. You know, maybe she was ashamed of where she came from. Maybe she was, I mean, I think we need to talk about, I mean, I'm not trying to like get political or anything, but I think we need to talk about what Unsolved Mysteries was calling boarding schools. Um, oh yeah. Uh, what so, was the term they used? No, they called it. They called it a. They called it a boarding school, as if it were like yeah. in the same class of things that affluent families send their kids off to, so they get into a good college. And it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not remotely the same thing. So, the kids were basically taken from their parents. This is you know, and this was going on up through the 1950s and 60s and I, I, didn't, I didn't know it was going on in Canada but I knew it was definitely going on in the United States where kids were taken off yeah. um, f- from their families from the reservation to basically go into these re-education camps and uh, they were forbidden from speaking their language their they, had to speak, language. they had to speak English and so I'm, I'm wondering in this process of re-educating Helen if she and she obviously she got pretty wrapped up in, um, you know, what I would say maybe from the Ojibwe point of view is a white man's war. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, 
I I would probably have a lot of mixed feelings if I were in that position and, you know, my kid wanted to go and fight for a country that had taken her from her family and put her people on a reservation. And you know what I mean? Like, why would you want to go do that? So I'm wondering if, if for Helen, just the reeducation was so complete that she didn't feel that tie to to coming home and to her siblings or maybe she was ashamed or or whatever i'm I'm just wondering if there's something like more layered going on oh yeah totally well there has to be something more to it than that you don't yeah. just like you don't get upset because your parent refused to sign a piece of paper and not speak to them for 50 years right right that just doesn't that doesn't track at all yeah so but we'll never know so i'm just doing a lot of speculating here on Helen Rose's path. <laughs> oh boy. Oh. Robbie, that's it. That's the end of the Unsolved Mysteries episode. Yeah, it feels like there wasn't much meat in on, on this episode. No, not a lot of meat on this episode. I mean uh I mean, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So but if if you've got anything about unsolved mysteries you would like to share with us, you can contact us on Twitter at reenactedpod. Uh, we uh, have a Facebook group, Reenacted Fans Podcast. Reenacted Only Fans. Something. Um, we have an email, reenactedpod mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Please go to iTunes and give us either five stars or don't leave a rating at all. And <laughs> yeah, that's an option. Yeah, you don't have to. You're not committed to leave a rating. You don't have to do that, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, yes, uh, be sure to be sure to do all those things I just said Mm -hmm. and share this podcast with 10 of your friends Mm -hmm. and then they share it with 10 of their friends Mm -hmm. and then they share it with 10 of their friends Mm -hmm. And that's how the upselling inverse funnel works. It's the MLM of our podcast. Yes. Yes. But uh, seriously, we ha- we also have a Patreon. So um, we've been kind of slacking in that department because there's not, we don't have a lot of patrons to be, to be honest. Well, Robbie hasn't. I have. I don't, I don't know what you've been talking about, Crystal, because uh, as soon as the third... Uh, because for some reason the unsolved mystery store broke up my order into three pieces hmm. as sur- soon as the third component uh, arrives mm-hmm. our patrons are going to be receiving quite the package in yeah. the mail so if you're one of those p- people who is sending us five dollars on patreon at this mm-hmm. current moment right now which is not when this episode is broadcasting but when i'm recording it you probably have something really cool on the yeah. way in the mail right now. The way that it works is if you send us $5 a month, Robbie will send you like $30 worth of shit. So you go to <laughs> patreon.com slash reenacted pod. We're also going to be doing like, we're supposed to be doing like early release episodes. There's a, there's a mini sew that I haven't edited yet that I'll put up there someday. Um, and then Robbie sends you stuff. So, um, 
Robbie. Yeah, that's actually yes. probably a pretty honest and accurate description of the how yeah. our Patreon works. Yeah, it's yeah. uh it's it's probably costing us money at this point. <laughs> it's okay. I I like I like I the our the our fans who do the Patreon thing mm-hmm. are so cool. Yeah, I, they are. I, I I'm I'm so glad that they listen to the podcast and that they actually find some enjoyment out of it yeah they're dope as hell oh yeah robbie do you want to do the thing join me next week for another edition of unsolved mysteries